0: Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain.
1: Um, oh, hold on! Are you finished? Are you finished with your drinking? Yeah, I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm. I'm nourished. Welcome to oh, uh, Captain. My Captain. Uh, my name is Mark Over. I am here with the SodaStream quaffing, Mister <laughs> Ricky Masindo. Um, how are you? I'm
0: great, Mark. How's it
1: going? Do you know what? It's all right. Although actually, I do think the SodaStream thing because basically, I've bought a SodaStream off yeah. of your recommendation. Yeah, I'm sponsored by SodaStream. But I'm now worried that this is the start of the journey that will inevitably turn into my Padawan becoming (laughs) some sort of dark Jedi and killing me (laughs) in the future. So you gradually, so I'm sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah,
0: kind of, I guess. And I'm Anakin
1: depending on uh, how it all goes, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Do you know what I mean? You could be Luke. You could end up being a good guy, uh, but you could be Anakin and you could end up going to the dark side.
0: Oh, I could take down the world of comedy from the
1: inside. Absolutely. And honestly, I really want, like, I think the final episode of Oh, Captain, my captain should be like the day after you win your Oscar for best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, oh yeah, Ricky has written, directed, produced like the greatest comedy film of all time that has got the Oscar. So like that would be my uh, that would be my ending. Um, <laughs> but I genuinely, I would be quite happy. Uh, and we've talked about this before. If the ending was uh, Ricky, sorry, there's no more Captain My Captain because Ricky Massindo has gone on a shooting spree. Like
0: <laughs> we can get Zoom in prison
1: but yeah the all oh, oh, what are you saying that uh mate if you're going to prison I'm finding a new comic to teach you sorry mate <laughs> I'm sorry no no Yes, yeah, no this,
0: I, I am a part of this brand you can't get rid of me I, I,
1: I am not getting <laughs> I'm not <laughs> having you do a shooting spree and then the next episode go okay so let's talk about callback a pullback and reveal uh, so um <laughs> So yeah, uh, we're, we're going to be we're going to be absolutely fine. Um today's guest, uh guest librarian, The Reading List, is uh the amazing Lucy Porter. Now, I've got a quiz for you. Uh, a little quizindo. Um Again. Okay. So Lucy started doing stand up in Manchester. Uh,
2: okay. She
1: was a student in Manchester and I want to talk to her about the Manchester scene when she started because the Manchester scene was amazing yeah um so let's start this what do you know about manchester what do you know about the manchester scene um Mm. what do you know about the scenes anywhere else around the uk uh and ireland um what do you know about the because you're a bedford boy yeah um who as of recording uh in some sort of specific Bedford lockdown, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. I really need to check up on my family.
1: Okay, so let's start here. Have you travelled much around the UK?
0: I have never been north of Birmingham.
1: You've never been north of Birmingham?
0: Yeah, yeah, but to be fair, that's on a lot of people's recommendation to avoid it.
1: Okay. So, oh, I like Birmingham. It's a good place. Have you been to... you never been to Scotland? No, nah,
0: never been to Scotland. Never, ever.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, well, this is exciting then, right? This is good. Yeah. So we are, we are covering, we're going to do some geographical stuff without you ever have been to any of those places. So let's yeah. start with uh, Manchester as a place. Firstly, yeah. do you know where it is? Yes, it's Northwest.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Now that. Absolutely nailed yeah. that. Um, uh, tell me things you know about Manchester. It
0: has a nice accent. It has two football teams that don't like each other. I think Um, it's next to Liverpool. I believe where the Beatles come from. This is literally one of those essays where it's like you're given a topic and you're like, oh, Manchester is nothing like Liverpool. This is what Joe Lysett
1: talked about (laughs) last week.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I could tell you a bit more about Liverpool just because. No, I'm not
1: having it. I'm sorry, mate. I'm not having it uh, (laughs) because this is not an essay or an exam. This is what we call in the trade a conversation. So um,
0: come back to Manchester for me. Manchester, Manchester.
1: Uh I do you mean, know any of the names of the train stations in Manchester?
0: I I mean I would assume Manchester Train Station, but are okay, they? I think there's more, more specifics
1: going on. Um okay. can you tell me uh can you tell me the, the motorway that you would get to uh to go to Manchester?
0: Oh wow, I mean I haven't driven in like three years, so I'm just gonna say the M94
1: unbelievable can you tell me so let's get here uh, can you tell me i was gonna say can you tell me the names of the universities in manchester but i'm fairly sure you would go manchester university so
0: oh, hey, university of
1: manchester can you tell me uh comedy clubs in manchester
0: Oof. they they always have weird names like the the lamb and chicken That is that one. Nope. Okay. Okay. Fine. Okay. Are you
1: out? The comedy flagon. Nope. No. Nice guess though. (laughs) Yeah. Nice guess. Um. And finally, on this quizzindo, which is quite joyous, that this is the first thing you've absolutely balls up massively. So I, (laughs) I like this. This shows me a direction that this podcast can start going because. I ha- we have to find gaps in your knowledge to fill with this podcast. <laughs> and this is what we're doing. Um, comedians from Manchester or who oh. have lived in Manchester or are associated with Manchester.
0: That's a tough one because I bet I'd bet, I know some, but I just don't think of them as Manchester related. But I know our fabulous guest today, Lucy Porter, is associated
1: with Manchester. I... I assume.
0: Ricky, Um... I'm not taking
1: any of your bullshit, mate. Stop going, (laughs) our fantastic guest. I want, I want some answers from you. I'm not letting you out of this, I'm afraid. Sorry. I know this uh... is the problem with you. You're so used to being good at everything. Even before the show, I was talking to you, you were spinning this pen and I was like, is there nothing you can't do? Turns out, you can't answer questions about cities <laughs> in the UK above Birmingham. So
0: uh, I'm good at getting my way out of stuff. That's the
1: only I know, yeah. I know, but mate, but mate, I have caught you it's like a spider <laughs> in my web. Manchester. So um, uh, other other things to know about Manchester. Other comedians. Um, there, there's comedian. there's a really faint, There's at least one incredibly famous one who I suppose would be seen as. Mr. Manchester, mr manchester
0: um is is he northern like does he sound northern
1: uh that, because he's from manchester mate and yeah, in the yeah
0: yeah okay yeah just making sure you know gotta get the joke. <laughs> um i this is actually jokes because i'm realizing i know more about like the north in game of thrones than i do about the north in the uk
1: Oh, okay, right. So we are now yeah. taking this. So, so you're a. Sh- I would say, to be honest, that north of the wall would yeah. probably be Scotland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so the problem. you're not. So, uh, I don't think I'm allowing you to say that Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, Burnley, Halifax, <laughs> um, even Newcastle. Uh, north of the wall, where the wildlings live. I'm not having that.
0: No, they're Winterfell. If anything,
1: good point. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely happy with Manchester being Winterfell. I'm absolutely (laughs) happy with that, Ricky. Stop trying to distract me. (laughs) You're so easily distracted. Give me the name of. (laughs) Okay, shot in the dark. Shot in the dark. One famous Mancunian comedian.
0: Mancunian. It's Michael McIntyre from Manchester. It's the Are alliteration. You
1: literally just going alliteration? Yes, I actually was. I was like,
0: Michael Manchester, <laughs> Mr. Michael McIntyre, Mr. Manchester.
1: Yeah. Nope. Sound. Nope. Uh, and the thing is, I'll tell you what I've decided to do, because yeah, I, I yeah. wasn't expecting this to be as much of a car crash as it is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've decided to wait until we talk to Lucy to get right. all the answers. I'm not even giving you the answers now. Love to hear it. I, I stopped doing geography
0: like in year eight or something. So no, I, I, yeah,
1: again, again, I am not allowing you to claim <laughs> that, your, that your lack of geographical knowledge is based on... Like, there are maps, there's the world, that the actual world.
0: isn't the world.
1: Did Mama and Papa Macindo never take you on, like, trips up to, you know, around different cities
0: of the UK? Nah, I think she just assumed London was the best one, and she was like, we'll stay here for now. But I have a lot of friends who go to uni in the north.
1: Oh, okay, here we go. Where are your friends?
0: So a lot of my friends are in Newcastle. I have one friend who's at uh, Manchester. University of Manchester, I don't know he's doing medicine in the city of Manchester uh,
1: and Your I... mate they're in medicine in Manchester, more alliteration the M's yeah, are really exactly. helping you but exactly. they're not helping you with this though. which just to let you know, you <laughs> yeah. literally got one question right, which was, you know? where is Manchester uh, and yeah. um, you went it's north of Birmingham, that is literally yeah. the only yeah. thing you've got right so far
0: yeah, that sounds about right. The, I have a friend in Liverpool as well, which uh, was the birthplace of the Beatles.
1: Yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, that <laughs> that is, just to let you know, that is not counting for your word count, <laughs> I'm afraid.
0: I love padding out word count. That's most of what I do now.
1: Okay, so I would say outside of London, yeah, I'm slightly biased, but I would say that Bristol has the best comedy scene uh in the uk outside of london
2: Uh, not just the clubs
1: we've got now uh but the comedians that have come from here russell howard john richardson john robbins uh mark watson Stephen merchant um Mm. we've got some some brilliant comics we've got some brilliant comedy clubs in bristol i would say from a very biased point of view that bristol is the best place for comedy outside of london Yeah, yeah i've heard that too yeah uh Lucy Porter and pretty much everyone else with uh without the Bristol bias would say Manchester. Oh, really? <laughs> they would say Manchester is the best, um, because of the clubs that it's got, and it's got some brilliant comedy clubs. An amazing uh club called Excess Malarkey, run by a guy called Ta- Toby Haydoke. Um, it's got a comedy store, so the only um, dedicated comedy store outside of London is in Manchester. It's got a very uh, successful, brilliant, long-running club called the Frog and Bucket, which oh. is in Manchester. Um, and a club that doesn't exist anymore. What are you claiming Frog and Bucket because you said uh, chicken and lamb and comedy and flag? No, I'm, again, that is that's not even half a point. Um, <laughs> It's got an old club called uh, the Buzz Club that's not there anymore. Um, It's got the Lowry Theatre, which is an amazing place, Uh, amazing theatre. And it's got a smaller room as well. Um, It has got, I'm deliberately not telling you names, by the way. I'm deliberately holding back the names. Um, It's got uh, a university where some. Amazing comedians have come from, studied yeah. there, started working there. Um, it's even got now Media City, um, which is loads of TV studios, which is where we film um, Cats Does Countdown um, and loads of other stuff. So Manchester is a brilliant city uh, for comedy, a brilliant city for new comedians as well. There's loads of great open mic gigs there. Um, you will definitely... Uh, When you have time and you're not studying and gigs come back, you will definitely, likelihood, some of your first gigs will start being in Manchester.
0: Oh, I did not know
1: any of this. That's This crazy. is why this is what this is me doing my Mr. Miyagi uh, <laughs> wax on wax off asking you the questions that you don't know why I'm asking you those questions and then you turn out that there's a lot of significance behind these questions.
0: Yeah, exactly, wax on wax off. I understand now. It makes
1: sense. And I think by the end of this chat with Lucy, you will end up going Holy shit, Manchester. I'm worried that you'll want to move to Manchester. I genuinely am (laughs) worried that you'll go, I think Manchester might be the place for me. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk to Lucy about all the comedy that she loves and all the comedy that she uh, has been inspired by. Um, But I will absolutely assume that a lot of that will come from the Manchester scene, because she went to university in Manchester, um, started working in Manchester in TV um, mm-hmm. and started gigging around there. So that's my assumption that Lucy will uh, be inspired by Manchester and will absolutely love to talk about it. Oh, I'm excited to learn a lot. I can't wait to find out, uh, to watch your face when you go, they're from Manchester? What, <laughs> they? What, they
0: mean? <laughs> what? The thing is, I'm just realising I've just had this Bristol bias this entire time. I just thought Bristol was like the best place in the world for comedy until now. It is. Secretly
1: it is. (laughs) Um, But but Manchester is an amazing place as well. So, uh, without further ado, let us meet the fantastic Lucy Porter. (music) Uh, Oh, I think we have a Lucy Porter. Ah
2: yes, you do. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> hi, Lucy.
1: Hello, um, Hello. my name is Mark Over. I am not Matt Ewins, Ewins and All you're right. not Jasper
2: Williamson, and he's no, not the, but you are
1: Lucy Porter yeah. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm going to change my name just so <laughs> we can all be having fun. Uh, um, Lucy
1: Porter, who is uh, no longer uh, a comedian. She's actually a professional ironer, which helps
2: you. <laughs> <to be in. laughs> yes. Anyone need their washing doing? Yes. Um, I mean, we've all been tempted to take in uh, washing, haven't we?
1: Do you know what I haven't? I, I send my washing, uh, I did it yesterday. I turned all my washing to a laundrette.
2: Do really? it,
1: yeah. Uh, so maybe,
2: showbiz. Well,
1: uh, do you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. It is the ironing for me because I wear a lot of shirts. Yes. I just cannot be asked. Um, I want a rick. What's the matter, Ricky?
0: I mean, I'm I'm 22 and I do my own washing.
1: Like, come on,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm with you, Ricky. It's clearly he's, he's a spoiled, pampered brat. He doesn't know. Um,
1: oh, you know. god, this is oh, it's this is turned quickly. Um. <laughs> I, uh, if you no, were
2: my son, Mark Over, I'd be disgusted.
1: I've got a massive IKEA washing basket. I fill mm-hmm. it up. I take it to uh, my lovely friend at the laundrette every month or so. Uh, Thirty-five quid does all my ironing as well. Amazing. Uh, that's actually yeah. Oh, bad. yeah. That's turd you, hasn't it? Monsieur? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I might, I might consider that.
2: Oh, and it's got... providing employment in the local area. You know, that, you're, that tends you're a saint.
1: To... Yeah. Have you got a cleaner, Lucy?
2: no um no we don't i uh i have at points in my life had a cleaner uh but simply cannot justify it at the minute because yeah, i'm doing absolutely. absolutely fuck all
1: there, you see ricky so lucy is happy to give me shit about the ironing but she's had a cleaner in the
2: past <laughs> yeah no like, to be honest i would outsource everything if i could i mean if i could franchise out my act and uh, you know like Richard Herring did you remember Richard Herring had a Dutch Richard Herring for a while
1: yeah and also um, puppetry of the penis
2: yeah yeah yeah. men in coats coats, men in coats I know that for a while that was every dressing room everyone would just be talking about how can we do a non-verbal act that we can then send around the world. well in fact because I supported puppetry of the penis on tour and, th- you know, there were numerous penises going around the world, <laughs> purporting to be the original penises, but they were, they were mock penises. They were standing cocks.
1: I did, uh, I did a late and when they were on once, and uh, it was the only time I ever properly gigged with them. And that green room was funky. <laughs> that, that, that had a smell.
2: Oh don't. well, I got so blasé because I was the you know the, the warm up comedian. So they always had a female comedian doing the warm up. Sorry, Ricky, are you aware of puppetry of the penis? Have you ever sort of no. heard or seen them?
0: No, I'm not, but I'm kind of trying to fill in the gaps on my
2: own. Yeah, I mean, the, the mental image you have is probably <laughs> yeah. fairly accurate, I would say. Um, so they used to do like uh, the wristwatch, which was where they sort of flop their penis around their wrist. Wow. And then at the Eiffel Tower was when they sort of pull out their their sack.
0: Wow. Uh, to
2: points and make, so they and then they used to sort of there was a bit where they were on a skateboard and and it was all filmed um by um oh god alexis Dubas did it for a while Oh, did was, he yeah he was cuz he has an enormous penis <laughs> and um <laughs> he was the like he was the stand-in penis so he used to go on tour with them in case a penis got ill or damaged and uh, he would be the the you know the, the um spare penis uh, but anyway, and so uh, so yes. But the anyway it. It was an extraordinary act, Ricky. But I was one of the female comedians they used as a support act, and I, you know, you'd go to these little provincial theatres, which normally would have an Agatha Christie or you know some sort of lovely polite drawing room theatre or a chamber orchestra or something, and um, and I'd be sitting in the dressing room with these two guys who were basically chubbing themselves up to get a semi, because that's <laughs> what they that that was the optimum state of it, and because I'd become. So so blasé about it, but you'd get these lovely duty managers in these little box office, you know, these little regional <laughs> theatres and art centres, who would come in and just see me reading a book while two men kind of masturbated either side of me. I mean, it, like, goodness knows, goodness knows what they must have thought.
1: Um, I don't know, Ricky, because we're already recording this. We normally do an intro. I say, just, <laughs> I say, we just crack straight in and we keep. Nah, this. Yeah. hello, Lucy Porter. Lucy Porter, hi. Macindo hello
2: (laughs) (laughs) lovely uh, to meet you
1: (laughs) uh, so lucy you are the guest librarian for the reading list today which is basically comedy that you love comedy that inspired you when you got started Mm -hmm. um and and sort of to open up that world for new acts to go oh i want to listen to that i should listen to that i should watch that i should do all that but i'm gonna ask you to do something slightly different today i know you've probably been thinking about this and i've got a long list because in the you want me to show you oh god have you really got an actual list
2: so uh i've got one two three uh, in terms of actual books one two three four five six Seven, eight, nine, <laughs> oh, this is it about a dozen, about a dozen, because my husband is also a comedian and comedy nerd. And so I did, I thought I'll just have a quick look at our bookshelves and see if we've got anything relevant. And... Our entire bookcases are just full of books about comedy because we love it. And I didn't know Justin
1: was a nerd about it as well.
2: More so than me, actually. So um, he did drama at Manchester University, (laughs) and um, his uh, dissertation was on stand-up comedy. Even though he did a drama, he did drama in French because he is an absolute wanker but um <laughs> he uh, uh you know he doesn't reveal that side of himself but he's quite pretentious and uh so yeah he, he did a stand-up comedy dissertation
1: okay so uh ricky masindo uh can Hello. you please name uh comedians who went to manchester university uh, his name's justin and he's married to lucy porter <laughs> <laughs>
2: this is cruel yeah so basically Lucy, what happened yeah. during the
1: preamble um yep. I, I knew i wanted to talk to you about starting comedy in manchester about i wanted to kind of take it from the manchester scene mm-hmm. and it out a little bit ricky has done 22 gigs he's 22 um I, my first question was, what do you know about Manchester? He said, it's north of Birmingham. I said, <laughs> you yeah. know anything else. He said, he's got two football teams. They don't like each other very much. And it's got no. a university and it's near Liverpool. Liverpool is the birthplace of the Beatles. The Beatles, as well as- <laughs> I'm not in any of that bullshit, Ricky. Um, I always say that Bristol has an amazing comedy scene and you've gigged here enough and you know mm. enough of us to know that it's amazing. But Manchester has, and definitely when you started, had an amazing comedy scene, didn't it?
2: It did. Well, it was the late 90s, so 98, I believe you were born, Ricky. I've been uh, listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when you were being born, uh, I was <laughs> in Manchester as your, as your mother laboured to bring you into the world. I was labouring to bring my comedy forth into the world. Um, and yes, it was an incredible time to be there but i mean i was in my early 20s as you are now ricky and i do not scoff at you for your um I mean, ignorance is the strong word for, for the fact that you accurate. have yet to find out a lot of stuff about the rest of the uk because i was similarly where were you based
0: uh bristol bristol slash
2: oh you're a bristol as well yeah, yeah.
1: born you. in bedford so <laughs> ricky only really knows sort of london and bristol Really, yeah. Zimbabwe. Sorry, yeah. born in Zimbabwe, yeah. lived in Bedford, now lives in Bristol. So that yeah. is his triangle. I'm an international.
2: Well, you are international and you probably have definitely more of a grasp of things than I did at your age because I'd gone to Manchester University and I was into comedy. So I was a comedy fan. I was a comedy sort of already a bit of a comedy nerd I used to where did you a lot grow up Lucy? I grew up in Croydon so did and... you
1: want to did you want to move to Manchester because you already knew that it was a good place for comedy and all that stuff
2: no, because my other love was music. So basically, uh, it was music that took me to Manchester. So this was, we were just at the tail end of your kind of Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, Manchester kind of era. Uh, um, but I had always been into the Smiths. And, you know, so it was that that was that I wanted to go and meet Morrissey at the cemetery gates at uh, that time in my life. So Um, So that was my motivation for going to Manchester Did not realise that it had uh, this amazing Kind of nascent comedy scene But as soon as I got there um, I went to uh, There was a, a venue called Band on the Wall Which was a world music venue and they used to do a new material night on a sunday and for about a pound i think you would go in and it would be steve coogan carolina hearn john thompson lem sisse henry normal um incredible people just doing their new material so that was the sort of that was the older generation or the established generation. And then I went to university, got really into comedy, started doing comedy. And so my contemporaries were people like, well, Dave Gorman, Chris Addison, Johnny Vegas, um, Peter Kay came along a little bit later. Um, John Bishop then also sort of started yeah. around the, so the Northwest kind of became this hub of, uh, of, of new and exciting comedy. So, yeah, it was an amazing time to be around. But, I mean, I didn't know anything about that. As I say, I arrived completely ignorant and I started doing comedy in Manchester and I was like looking back, I think, my God, I can't believe I got away with it because in Manchester at that time, and I suspect still there was a big town and gown divide and, Mm. you know, the locals hated the students and a little bit the other way. Um, (laughs) In fact, if you haven't, Ricky, ever seen uh, Steve Coogan's character, Paul Calf or his sister Pauline Calf, they are a brilliant little snapshot of what Manchester was like in the 1990s. So I highly recommend because they were the kind of locals who hated students and the whole thing, <laughs> the kind of gag is that Steve Coogan obviously was a bit of a Ponzi student, but he created this character who absolutely hated students and who was sort of, you know, a kind of a, a, a scally as the term was then. So, um, so yeah, so I turned up and decided to start doing comedy, but I, you know, I looked like a student. I sounded like I was from London and kind of, I, I don't know, yeah, and I just went on in comedy clubs and it wasn't even just comedy clubs then, it was like working men's clubs and the, it was like the working men's club circuit and the alternative circuit were starting to kind of merge. So there was this... In the 70s, Ricky, the, 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 there was a kind of... Uh, I mean, how would you describe working men's clubs, really? Mass- I suppose, I mean, do you
1: know and- what? They still exist, weirdly, in places in the valleys, mm. um, in South Wales and, and all over the North East, more. Yeah. They're basically... Pretty much exactly that. They're places where you go and they're basically uh they were Weatherspoons before Weatherspoons. Uh, ah. so that's the that's the vibe of a working man's club. Um ah. there was usually uh, in the seventies, sixties and seventies, there was a lounge for the women. Um yeah. there was and then there was entertainment. And so they would have so all of those people that Ricky, in your brain, you would have seen your mum and dad watching on telly you uh, little and large. Yeah, your, um Cannon and Ball, people like Jackson, yeah. They would start in those working men's clubs and they would do um gigs on a on a Friday and Saturday night. What was that TV show that they filmed? The Shutters the and-
2: comedians or the Wheel Tappers and Shunters Club? The wheel
1: tappers and shunters club. If you go on YouTube, the wheel tappers and shunters the club. Wheel it- tappers.
2: <laughs> yeah, you oh, might need to write that down. Oh, no, yeah. but
1: we were, this is the thing, Lucy. We we do a list of everything uh, on the reading list, so this is quite fun to put the wheel tappers and shunters. Club oh,
2: definitely
1: on that, um, because, because that was that was the scene and before c- comedy started. And comedy started in London. People always say like nineteen seventy nine, yeah. but. The, the West Country, uh, the North, the Midlands, like that type of stand-up didn't really get there until kind of maybe late 80s and then, you know, beyond, really. Mm.
2: Yeah, and there was a certain amount of tension. And I, I mean... There's so much interesting stuff about class in British comedy and regionalism, and the fact that there were always comedians who worked in one region who were massive, who then weren't particularly known in the rest of the country. And then that kind of stopped happening a bit, didn't it? So there were was it Bobby Thompson who is the famous. Like there were quite a few from the northeast, and then there were people like like Bernard Manning, I suppose in Manchester was the big one. So Bernard Manning, you should definitely check out Ricky. Um, <laughs> we will. Nah,
1: no. <laughs> uh, have you never heard the, the name Bernard Manning before? no I never, never. Heard uh, what him, about no. Roy Chubby Brown?
0: No. Roy Chubby Brown? No. Oh, this is... Pretty-
1: oh, now, uh, Lucy, uh, just while we get on to Roy Chubby Brown, mm-hmm. um, because his first name, his real name is Royston Vasey, were the League of Gentlemen guys, were they part of the Manchester...
2: No, because they were Breton Hall, they were sort of Yorkshire, so they, oh, okay. were, so they, they were, the, were not on the circuit. I think they were I, I plowing that. their own furrow at that time.
1: Um, so Roy Chubby Brown and... Uh, basically, what I would suggest, Ricky, is if you ever listen to any Bernard Bannon and Roy Chubby Brown, um, yeah. put your headphones in, mate. Don't listen to it <laughs> on your um, it's, uh, I don't know the best way to describe it. Um, it's, um... Challenge- well, racist
2: would be a Oh, start. racist.
1: There you go. Racist.
2: <laughs> um, okay.
1: Okay. I'll be uh, you know how I'll be uh, we talk about Chappelle quite a lot on this podcast. Chappelle is challenging in a good way. Whatever the opposite of Chappelle's challenging is, that is Roy Chubby Brown and, uh, Bernard Manning. They were... They are old school. They are, um racist, misogynistic um, they rarely did they write their own stuff like stand-ups do they shared it around and and all that sort of stuff, but you were gigging in Manchester where, where that scene was kind of quite important
2: Yeah, well so the Embassy Club was where Bernard Manning he owned the Embassy Club and he was the resident host there and it, I think it is interesting what alternative comedy kind of sprung up to fight against or to be in a position to because I think some people remember very fondly things like the comedians on television and Wheeltappers and Shunters and there were brilliant comics mm. who, who did you know old-fashioned comedy in that they were telling jokes that they hadn't necessarily written although some of them did you know there were like people like Mick Miller is always the one that we cite as an example of someone who you should watch because he was working in that world, but he was writing his own stuff and he was doing something that wasn't racist, crucially. <laughs> um, a little bit more interesting and not you know, he he was sort of more of a character actually. But um, anyway, yeah, so really so Bernard, yeah, not racist. Racist, not Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, Bernard Manning had this club, the Embassy Club, and he was the resident compare there. And other comics used to come along. And the legendary thing was that Bernard would tax you for uh, your the jokes that you did that he liked. He would just take those jokes, which to people sure. on the alternative circuit seems incredible. That like if you went to a gig that Mark Oliver compared, and he went, to, listen that that joke you did i like it i'm having that you you <laughs> can't do that anymore that is now mine um but so yeah he was a sort of formidable character but he did inspire a lot of affection because he you know people say oh he's got great comic timing you know people always sort of tried to justify why this kind of cartoon grotesque racist sexist was acceptable and the big line that he used to say and that people used to parrot was well it's okay because he offends everybody which uh. actually you know and that that carried some heft at the time and i think now i don't think it i don't know it's really, i mean it's sort of interesting that i think we've now moved on the 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 world has moved on so enormously and this is one thing that gives me hope and comfort is that in You know, the three decades that I have been watching and participating in comedy, things have moved on in a way that I think is very positive. And, and, you know, we can all moan about aspects of the comedy scene and television and all that. But generally, I think comedy is more interesting, more inclusive and Uh. more... Uh, it's thoughtful
1: and... And welcoming, I think, as well. I think, mm. you know, I, yeah. I think there would have been an issue for... And you, you read stories of some of the... And there weren't many, but some of the black acts, some of the female acts, um, some of the uh, LGBT acts, who became a little bit famous during that time... Um, I don't think it was very nice atmosphere. <laughs> like,
2: I don't think, no.
1: you know, they, 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 they managed to do okay, but there was definitely a uh, division there and you just don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be mm. the black comic, star, you know, standing at the back laughing when you hear Jim Davison do chalky or uh, Bernard Manning do all the, you know, horrible racist stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Lenny Henry has written and spoken very eloquently on that because he was sort of part of that world, but was trying to, you know, it's very difficult. I think to a certain extent as a woman in that era, you did feel that tension between you want to do your own thing and you don't want to appease misogynists or kind of downplay how awful that is. But then you also just want to do your thing and make your own mark and maybe show there's a different way. But I think there definitely, when I started, there was the idea everywhere um, that a comedian was kind of a white man and that anything other than that was difficult and uncomfortable for audiences to cope with. How did
1: that make you feel as someone who watched a lot of comedy, was a comedy fan, went to Manchester? How did it make you feel the first time you saw Carolina Hearn? Well, I
2: mean, amazing, yeah.
1: Yeah, because that must have been... So, uh, and again, all of this will go on the list. So Carolina Hearn, Ricky... you might be aware of well, you were a bit of Mrs. Merton, who was her her main character. But she mm. was she doing Mrs. Merton when you first saw her, or was she doing? Yes,
2: yes. So she had a sort of a, a repertoire of characters that she would do. So she, Ricky, was a sort of an actor by mm-hmm. uh, training but so she did she did a country and western singer called Mitzi Goldberg she did a, a nun called Sister Mary Immaculate uh, she did Mrs Merton who was like this very sweet little old lady who was then very cutting and bitchy mm-hmm. you know with the sort of the, the fluffy exterior um, and then she also did stand up as herself and that to me was an absolute revelation because
1: you remember meant- Never seen her for the first time, do you remember? Oh
2: yeah, God, I mean, absolutely. It was extraordinary. So I saw her at Band on the Wall and she was telling a story about her and her mate had both, they'd gone to the pub and there was a bloke there that they both fancied and they'd got him back to her flat But then once he was there, her and her mate both decided they didn't really want to get off with him. But then it was kind of really awkward and they were like, well, maybe one of us should out of politeness. And they were having (laughs) this kind of debate. about. And I I hadn't seen anything that was so confessional, so personal. It was sort of artless and there weren't any punchlines or, you know, it felt like it was just... Somebody telling an anecdote I mean it did remind me if anything of someone else who should go on your list Ricky who is Dave Allen who was my mum and dad's favourite comedian and I know you've discussed Billy Connolly who is obviously a genius Um, but when I was growing up the two influences in my house were Billy Connolly who was sort of big and physical and a force of nature, and then there was Dave Allen, who was an Irish comedian who was much more understated. He used to sit down on a stool when he did his routines, and he had a glass of whiskey in one hand and a cigarette mm. in the other, because um, that was telly in the seventies. And in fact, I used to, as about an eight-year-old, I used to get my dad's whiskey and fag and sit and do Dave Allen impersonation. <laughs> because that was fine we we didn't worry about kids having yeah. fags in those days so um <laughs> so yeah but she sort of it was that sort of storytelling that just seemed like she was throwing everything away it's so understated and so brilliant uh, and so natural and yeah just completely blew my mind I just thought she's amazing
1: uh Ricky has to um when he finishes uh Doctor School has to decide what place is going to go to Doctor House. And and he was like, oh, well, I'm only thinking about London and Bristol because those are sort of the only places I've realised that comedy existed. Uh, And then we talk about the Northwest. And I genuinely, I think Lucy so far, I think we've now lost Ricky to Manchester.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like it. Like, to be honest, it sounds like it's the most popping place in the UK for comedy.
2: Well, I'm very out of touch now, so I don't really... I presume that there... Well, I know there is still a sort of huge comedy circuit, but I don't know much. The other thing, Ricky, is go somewhere that doesn't have a comedy circuit and create one because that Mm. is a way to uh, get yourself a lot of gigs because if you set up a club and compare it, then you will have to become good very quickly.
0: Uh, That's actually so true. I might set up the Bedford comedy scene.
1: There you go. Actually, that's a really good point because I'm... So I started doing comedy... Just as people because Bristol had a fairly good scene before me and Russell started, but a few years before that, because there was Marcus Brigstock and Matt Lucas and David Williams were here for a little bit. Mm. Um uh, Simon Pegg was here as well. But they kind of disappeared a little bit.
2: Well, they uh, were just sort of uni-based. They weren't exactly, actually they yeah. hadn't created a circuit in the city, had they? No, Whereas they you very a, much did.
1: Yeah, they gigged a little bit. Like there was uh, Steve Lamb ran a gig that. Um, I think Simon Pegg. uh, Steve Blount gave Graham Norton one of his first paid uh, gigs in Bristol. So there was that circuit, but you're right. They were all very student-y. But the other people that we've not talked about with Manchester, like, Jack Whitehall lived in Manchester, Alan Carr lived in Manchester, Joe Lysak lived in Manchester, Millican, Millican moved to Manchester, lives, still yes. up there. Um, wow. Oh,
2: and there's amazing, like, so when I was leaving, it just started to get really exciting again. So there's, like, Man, Bethany, started. Bethany Black, who yeah. is a brilliant comic. I remember meeting her when she was just doing her first kind of few gigs. And then, I mean, yeah, obviously... Manford and um, I mean the the Northwest generally I think actually there's stuff going on there like Liverpool really it didn't have a huge comedy circuit when uh, when I was there but now you've got like hot water and again I mean it's quite interesting isn't it that like Paul Smith <laughs> is kind of bringing back the days of arena filling comics who you know have their fan base really heavily. Have you heard
1: of Paul Smith, Ricky? No, no, I haven't, So Paul Smith is amazing. And actually, do you know what? I might try and get him on the podcast at one point because I don't know him. So I ask people I know to come on. So Paul Smith um, is the regular compare for Hot Water Comedy. um, Mm -hmm. And Hot Water Comedy is a a newish club. It's been there for a couple of years now, but it's not one of the old school clubs. And they film all of their comp, So they film all their sets. And a lot of them they put on YouTube. And because he's their regular compare. He's on nearly all of these videos. And now his videos started going viral. And now he uh he can do arena tours specifically around the Northwest, but has done the Bristol Hippodrome, has done uh, I think either the Palladium or the Hammersmith Apollo. And he's a guy that that no one really knows, but he's massive. <laughs> like it's it's absolutely amazing. He's got this incredible following comics I know who have done hot water who have been out for Drinks with him in the afternoon, so he just gets swamped with people wanting to wanting to say hello to him. He's an mm-hmm. absolute superstar in Liverpool. It's amazing,
2: and there are like now. I think it's you know you're not you don't really want to be talking to people like me who are of a bygone era. You want to be talking <laughs> to people who understand the way that it, you know things work now, and the fact that you don't necessarily need to go the same route that I went or that Mark went, you know, there's, um, I'm not saying that your captain, my captain is not uh, the right person to, to instruct you, but I would say that it is quite interesting when you talk to younger people that the whole route of social media and, I mean, there's always been people who didn't need telly um, to be sort of popular. Daniel Kitson, of course, springs to mind, who said, I'm not going to do... I think he had terrible experiences on telly, as we all have, and uh, and just said, right, I'm not I'm not doing that anymore, and forged a sort of slightly more theatrical path for himself. Um, but, I mean, obviously it is hard, because I think you have to be sort of extraordinary to to kind of not use some of the conventional things like telly. To-
1: and you're right. Although what I oh. would say is, and we've done an episode about TikTok and YouTube and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But also when you talk about your experience in Manchester, when you started with those small clubs, going to clubs that weren't right for you, going to clubs where you die on your ass, being around people who are your peers, but also people above you, people below you, that still exists. You know, that's the joy is that yeah, that yeah. world still exist. Russell Howard comes and does new material in Bristol, and Open Spots in Bristol will hopefully go on to be... So you are right, wise old washerwoman. Right. You are correct. <laughs> have changed. But I genuinely don't think they've changed enough, and that's why I like the reading this because I love introducing people to, through our guest librarians to Peter Cook, to Carolina Hearn, to Chris Addison stuff. So. Who else is on your... Who else is on your... Who do you have a goat do you have like the greatest of all time
2: yes well obviously mark (laughs) olver i'll give you a top three okay i've got two answers okay two okay yeah i'm gonna give you two and the first one i'm gonna say is steve martin who i uh, in fact i'm gonna give you three i'm gonna give you three so first one is steve martin who was my specialist subject on celebrity mastermind and I mean if there's a way to prove what esteem you hold someone in then I think choosing to spend days and days re-watching their stuff and <sighs> reading everything about them for Mastermind is, Just a quick
1: question Lucy how did you do on Celebrity Mastermind? I won,
2: of course Martin. there you go okay. one, oh, there it is. Steve Martin inspired me so much but yeah the, Steve Martin's uh, autobiography about his stand-up years is called Born Standing yeah. Up yeah Uh just amazing. Just a really great read. And also, you know, very much the the big lesson that all old people will want to say to you, Ricky, which is enjoy the journey because <laughs> it's not about where you get to. It's about the friends you make along the way. And uh, it very much you get the feeling with Steve Martin's uh, stand-up career that he was... You know, there were bits of it that he loved. And actually what he really loved was doing magic and his early days being a magic demonstrator at Disneyland, you know, or theme parks. That was his happiest time. And, uh, yeah, and it's just kind of nice to read about the ups and downs of people along the way. But I just think his, some of that kind of wild and crazy guy era stand-up is so beautiful and so silly. And, I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can find clips of him on um, is it Dick Cavett or the, anyway um, who's the other one that they all went on Ed Sullivan. Uh, Ed Sullivan thank you
1: and Johnny Carson as well all of those sort yes. of chat shows in America in the 70s 60s 70s yeah Steve Martin was on them a lot
2: yeah get yourself down a rabbit hole of those chat shows those are really really good fun because they're little snippets of the best the best in the business and also like because I remember in the i guess in the 80s seeing people like stephen wright and emo phillips Mm. on those kind of shows on i mean by then i guess letterman um was doing it so yeah that's a really good good thing to watch and enjoy but yeah so i would say steve martin and also ellen degeneres
0: oh wow
2: i know has had her troubles lately (laughs) um But uh, she was a massive influence. And I think her uh, stand-up special from, I think it's 97, Ellen DeGeneres' One Night Stand, um, and there's an album called Taste This, which has a lot of the same stand-up on it. And uh, it's got this routine, which is all about how, when something's disgusting, you immediately give it to someone else to taste. Which at the time, yeah. you know, those kind of little observational bits with really good acting out was something that American stand-ups did so well, and it's become yeah. kind of absolutely the global standard for stand-up. I think in terms of like, you know, it's what Seinfeld always did really well, and. Yeah, but it, it, I hadn't really seen that much of it because most yeah. comics, you know, like there was your Billy Connolly's and yeah, I suppose Jasper Carrot, but it wasn't, there just weren't as many of these sort of brilliant yeah. observational comics over here. So yeah, so that is um, a big recommendation. you know what, weirdly, I,
1: I, I listened to so much stand-up when I was growing up. And then when I started doing stand-up, was doing it so wasn't listening to so much Mm. of it and definitely didn't watch loads i was always very much in my logos but the ellen DeGeneres special that special that you mentioned was one of the few that i watched and it is brilliant like she is a very like if she hadn't got into the chat show stuff if she hadn't got into uh being sort of i suppose light entertainment e ellen Mm-hmm. She would just be considered one of the best stand-ups, I genuinely think. Oh, I think wow. those shows are absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah, and I mean, yeah. she's sort of now too famous and notorious. And, you know, it's always, I think there's a real tragedy when people get too famous to do mm-hmm. to go back to stand-up. And I think it can happen that you become so known as an actor or a personality or in you know people people cannot then just buy you talking about your normal life and then you see awful stand up specials where it's people trying to talk about what it's like being famous and you know rich people problems and yeah quite often I find that a bit hard to watch.
1: Did you ever do any of the Lee Evans uh, new material things at the Glee? Club? The Glee, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've
2: a few of those. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's yeah. an
1: experience, isn't it? Oh, oh, unbelievable!
2: And he's so lovely and so nervous and. Yeah, and it, it, it was just such an interesting experience to kind of go, God, it's really, you never stop being nervous and scared, even when that whole audience is 100% on your side and they are so excited about seeing you and they want, Used, you, you know, they're there physically, you could sort of feel absolutely the love and warmth. It was palpable. And yet he was still really nervous about what he was going to do. Because I guess then you think, oh, God, I've got further to fall. And if it's mm. shit, then, I, you know, everyone's going to really, I've ruined everyone's night. But it is a real shame, I think, that there is... That 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 part of a stand-up that will never be happy and there is all ultimately unsatisfiable, that need to succeed in a way that's completely unknowable and intangible and, and probably incomprehensible to anyone else. Um
1: Steve Martin, Ellen DeGeneres, Mark Olver, who are just sneak yes. who um you said <laughs> there was a third. Who is the uh, who is the third of your uh your pillars.
2: Well, I, I mean, it pains me to say this because uh, she is a friend and an idiot, but Sarah Kendall, uh, I think, is a... Oh, in fact, God, knows, there's a fourth as well. Um, I'm going to keep adding. <laughs> I knew adding. this was going to happen. Yeah, she no. came back with the
1: books. So I knew that yeah. she wasn't going to be able to pin okay. it down. Um, okay, Sarah give me Kendall. The fourth. Give me the fourth as well.
2: Well, I, then it reminded me of Julia Morris, and then that's also <laughs> brought me on to Jeannie So I'm going to give you uh, three for the price of one.
1: Okay, so let's so, go... Uh- these are,
2: I suppose, female contemporaries who I think yeah. are amazing. Um underrated have struggled illustrate some of the things we were talking about at the beginning about how difficult it was being uh being black or a woman in mm-hmm. the sort of late 90s early 2000s so um sarah kendall who is having her moment of glory is taskmaster champion mm-hmm. um has a hit show on sky and uh, australian abc or whatever um Uh, Yeah, and it's just a a delight and a joy because she is one of the people that I've always thought is just a phenomenal talent, brilliant writer, amazing performer. Um, What she does has heart and soul to it and is personal, but it doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, which I think sometimes when I overshare, it can be, we all feel a little bit embarrassed uh, about it, but uh, Sarah manages to do it with such grace and style um, that I think she's, I just think she's fantastic.
1: The thing I like about Sarah, and it's something that not every comic is able to do and I think this is uh the sweet spot where her Edinburgh shows are brilliant and she's also a really good club comic and I Mm. and sometimes in this country we separate those two and you go you're a brilliant club comic therefore we're not really interested in your Edinburgh shows oh you're a brilliant Edinburgh comic but can you do it on uh a Thursday night at the Glee Club, whereas Mm. the best ones can do both. And Sarah Kendall is one of those. The other one who doesn't work over here much anymore, but I always thought she was so brilliant, was Kitty Flanagan, who was over for a while. And I still, um, I I think of Kitty Flanagan jokes all of the time. Like she had this bit about um, Planet of the Apes, And how in French, ape is songe, but monkey is also songe. And there's a bit in Planet of the Apes where I am not a monkey, I am an ape. Don't call me a monkey, call me an ape. And she says, so in the French version, it would be, don't call me a songe, I am a songe. (laughs) Not a songe. And I I remember that piece of material. All the time. She used to do this thing about ordering food and and she still does loads in Australia. But yeah, I thought I knew I, I met them both at the same time, which is why I always think of Sarah and and Kitty together. I met them uh, in the Gilded Balloon at the same time.
2: I know. And I think, yeah, Kitty Flanagan, criminally underrated and bringing me on to also Julia Morris, who is one of the funniest human beings I have ever met. Just on a day to day basis, being in her company is the most joyful experience you will ever have. And she's one of those people who kind of lifts everybody and she has apparent incredible self-confidence. And I'm sure that, you know, there is, as with all comedians, there is a core of self doubt. and and self-loathing in there but she is so sort of positive and joyful and um, I think London Hughes has got this as well where like my friend Amanda who works with London Hughes a lot says that she just she, she is very much about look I'm fabulous and I want you to be fabulous too Her fabulousness does not outshine other people It brings, every you know, everybody shines when she shines And Julia Morris is exactly like that And was um, so huge in Edinburgh doing the festival And her shows are the hardest I've ever laughed And ridiculous kind of all over the place her anecdotes would, would go off on such incredible tangents and then somehow she'd sort of bring it all back together. Um, and, you know, and she's done. she's got this amazing career in Australia and you must watch the compilation of all her introductions to I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Australia is just such a delight where she comes on every time and her co-host says, I'm whoever he is. And then she says, and I'm... Julia Morris and gives herself a little anyway. I, I can't read it for you.
1: Yeah, of it's course. absolutely. It's a really brilliant two and a half minute of. This is what this person does. This is who this person is. uh She's like an accident in the best way, where you <laughs> cannot take your eyes off her. Like <laughs> she is absolutely. She's properly magnetic, and we are running out of time. And. You wanted to do Jeannie Asheray, but I wanted to ask Ricky. Ricky, how much do you know about Jeannie Asheray? Ah, not nothing
0: at all. Like I'm literally just listening to all these names and like. So, so has the
1: name? So has the name Jeannie Asheray ever entered your brain? No, I don't think so. This is the first time. So this is this is magnificent uh, that you don't know Gina because uh, you will Google Gina, you will watch Gina, you will look at her story. I, I. I would, you probably, Lucy, know Gina a lot more than I know Gina. I geeked with her a few times um, when she was closing gigs before she went to America. And she really ripped those gigs in your asshole. And mm. the other person who I've seen do that, um, Ninia Benjamin, whenever I see Ninia do. A gig. I saw her do her first ever comedy store middle spot in their Colchester comedy store on the road gig. And in the middle, Ninia got a standing ovation. Like <laughs> wow. Like that that level of brilliance yes. that Gina had that just wasn't, I don't know, wasn't utilized
2: enough. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, we're sort of coming back beautifully to where we began, uh, to the fact that definitely um, the UK comedy world has been a place where um, it's it's been difficult for women, for uh, for people of colour, for LGBT acts to sort of flourish and feel kind of like they could achieve their full potential. Um, And of course, it's still a thing. It's still an issue, but people do talk about it now. And I think, you know, Jean has been very vocal about the fact that she had to go to America, as has London Hughes, actually, um, to get kind of opportunities on TV and to be sort of taken seriously. So, I mean, I guess this is something that is changing. And, you know, and I think it's... When I started out, I remember being told... Uh, oh, it's you're really great because you don't talk about being a woman. You know, you just do gags. And when I started, I really absorbed that message. And I thought, yeah, what's really what's been wrong with women in comedy, right, is they, they've just been talking about, like, periods and women things. And, oh, God. And I believed that. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's what, what the problem is. And then I started doing comedy. And I was like, oh, my God, no, of course, that's not what the problem is. The reason that, you know, you talk about what it's like to be a woman is because the minute you step on stage, you are perceived as other and difficult and what is this and you have to address that and you have to kind of go okay yeah I'm a woman and uh, you know and it it, of course it informs what you do and who you are and what you say and I think there was a really unhelpful conversation for women for um you know always I remember people saying and saying to Gina oh god you know it's always uh, you know black acts they always talk about oh you know my my African mum or my West Indian dad and, you know, God, it's just all the same. It's all the same. And it's like, well, because if you go on to an audience um, as anything other than a white man, they're kind of a bit like, oh, confused. And if you put yourself in context, you shouldn't have to do that, but you kind of do and it goes better. And unless you are prepared to be a maverick who dies constantly then you probably will find yourself doing some of the things that people are sort of criticizing. Oh, all women do this, all black acts do this, all gay acts. are kind of just talk about their sexuality. And it's, it's like, well, we kind of had to do that. And I think things are moving on a little bit now, but, um, but, you know, it, it, and also the, the whole sort of media conversation about it was rather than sort of journalists going, Oh, wonder why it is that, that, you know, that, this perception exists. Instead, they were like, oh, are women funny? We're, you know, and instead mm-hmm. of challenging people's prejudices, it was all about reinforcing them really and saying, yeah, no, you're right. And even now this happens again with, you know, like Lenny Henry, There's, there was a big thing on Twitter the other day about, oh God, Lenny Henry's not funny. It's not because I'm racist. I don't think he's funny. It's just that I think he's not funny. And it's like, yeah, But let's talk about why we always have this conversation about Lenny Henry, Mm. not about anybody else on television. You know, there's all of these kind of little uh, people don't know that they're prejudiced and we all have unconscious bias. And, you know, and it's it is just interesting to talk about it. And it's not necessarily I think people go, oh, it's, you know, but then it's a danger to free speech or you're kind of you're creating this identity politics that then everybody feels that they're oppressed or you know it's all about grievances and hierarchies and stuff but I do think actually just having the conversations that we have never had and often comedy is the place where these things start and people because we are all trying to sort of talk from our personal experience and we're talking about what we know I think you know quite often we end up saying the wrong thing or the right thing years before other art forms even get to having the conversation so anyway that's uh, what
1: do you uh what do you like about Gina what
2: oh just i mean it's just she does again all the things that a great comic does she talks about her own ridiculous life and actually she does manage to talk about living in LA um, mm. and make it funny because she does you know she is so she's always been so direct and so kind of uh high status anyway right so Mm. she she was what I loved about her and what I think was difficult for people to cope with was that she was always high status and she was always like I'm amazing and I buy nice things and I do all these (laughs) incredible I I go out and gamble in Ella in Vegas and I do all this (laughs) stuff and um but she sees the ridiculousness of her own very glamorous life and it's uh you know, and she is at heart, sort of still the lift engineer from uh, North London who I met many years ago. But uh, yeah, I think she's great.
1: Yeah, I think she's absolutely someone that we have to uh, put on the list and also someone else who. Um, I want to try and get on the podcast. I mean, I imagine time differences and her diary, yeah. uh, but she is, uh, yeah, she's... Absolutely- and
2: her, g- g- yeah, her general kind of busy uh, LA lifestyle. I did a radio thing with her recently and it was sickening because I was sat in a studio in London in the rain and uh, she was d- d- arriving in a studio in LA in a lovely car and going, oh God, sorry, oh. it's just... it's boiling here it's absolutely (laughs) so yeah um but yes i think you should you should get on the podcast now listen i feel really bad because i have just blabbed on so much no that's what you're (laughs) here that's
0: the point (laughs) what
1: a podcast guest is meant to do
2: no 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 but i know because i just wanted to ask ricky how Mm. a like how helpful this is being so far Mm. i suppose this, this conversation
0: or just the entire podcast
2: the entire podcast. Yeah. Don't, don't, please don't, sp- <laughs> don't focus on this.
0: One. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I know it's been a massive help, like particularly in this like last six months where I haven't been able to do any stand up. like I noticed, cause I did my first gig like a couple days ago uh, on Sunday. And I'm just thinking about it all just completely differently. Now, just like the styles of performing the way to do stuff, like, it's. I'm no longer just thinking. Write jokes. Go on stage. Make funny. Now it's like, I'm thinking like, oh, how would this person do this? Or how does this person write to make this even better? Or what if I didn't just say it, but I actually put it in my face and just trying to think of new ways to work stuff out. But I. I'm, but I do also acknowledge that yeah, things have changed with stand up and like it's different to how things were even like ten mm-hmm. years ago with the internet. But. That's why I have a podcast where <laughs> I can broadcast my name. So if you have any gigs and you'd like to put my yes. email, my email is comedyrick at gmail.com.
2: And is that Rick with a K?
0: Yes, r-i-k at gmail.com.
2: Comedyrick at gmail.com, yeah. I mean, it is useful. Well, two things are useful, I think. But showing that you're doing stuff is good Uh from an industry point of view if in you know if that interests you in terms of people Mm. getting to know your name um and also i do think having a mentor is so brilliant and i think it is very um and i couldn't think of a finer one the mark to be honest but you know i had a number of people when i started out who were useful
1: well this is the joy of that is that actually ricky's got Shitloads of mentors. Ricky was given careers advice from Jimmy Carr. Like on the <laughs> on the like Jimmy came on to do the reading list, and Jimmy was like, I'm just gonna tell you what you should do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh and so Ricky did a gig on Sunday that I uh compared, and we talked about this in the Joe Lycett episode that we recorded yesterday. Um mm-hmm. so Ricky's got a new bit about uh Peppa Pig and you basically worked on that bit using some of the skills that that we talked about or techniques that we talked about with Nishkuma, didn't you?
0: yeah 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 so it was uh because there was a joke that Nish did that i just loved where he did five minutes on the drummer from coldplay and how that's the best person in the world to be because he's famous and rich but no one knows who he is <laughs> and that and like he explained to me how he wrote it and how he did it in like the chris rock way where he takes a concept and then he thinks of all the things that are funny about it and then he milks all the humor from it possible and then i realized with my uh sister's daughter i I find it funny that she watches Peppa Pig, how it's a multimillion dollar company, like organization, whatever. But it's for children and it's colorful. So I just tried to deconstruct it from every direction possible. And that was where it came from, pretty much.
2: Would you say, are you more a writer or a performer or are you the happy medium?
0: Um, I would say... That's a tough one. I would say I'm more a performer because I was performing from an early age, like doing like school plays, like instruments, singing. So it's like I don't I enjoy being on stage. I actually enjoy performing. And the thing that I've had to learn the
1: most is the writing part of it and how to
0: actually construct
1: humor. He's also, Lucy, a charming motherfucker. That's the other thing about (laughs) him. We've all all met those who were like, yeah, I could just go on stage and I'll just be a charming motherfucker. Um, (laughs) And uh, I think what's really interesting about this podcast, and again, I don't even know if we'll put this bit in the edit. We might edit it out. But the thing I like about this podcast, and I talk about it a lot, and the thing that I'm focused on, how collaborative stand-up is, mm. that people think it's one person on stage and therefore it's the solo endeavour. But you've just told a story about John Feely and you, we we've both talked about the comedy scenes that we started in. And even the fact that we are doing this podcast is a collaborative thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's so collaborative, isn't it?
2: Well, it is. And I think that I, the times when I felt that I've lost my way have been times when I haven't been able to access other stand up. So I mean, I've been doing my own tour, which is the dream, you know, say the last mm-hmm. few years, I get to go and do my own show, which is gorgeous. But you don't have the green room chat, you don't see other comics working. And because I had small children as well, so in terms of lifestyle, I couldn't also go out and see comedy. It was like if I'm going out, I'm paying for a babysitter to go and earn money. I can't be also going out just to hang out in clubs. And I really missed it. And I think my comedy really sort of suffered as a result of that. Um, So I have. Deliberately kind of engaged more now. And also. What's it like
1: living with one? What's it like being married? Like, (gasps) do you and Justin have comedy conversations or do you all have, well, you have to pick them up that time and. Yeah, uh, it's really dull. What's for lunch? Yeah, the sort of (laughs) quotidian detail.
2: The quotidian detail of life is really what we talk about most of the time. But actually, do you know what? Lockdown has been really useful and interesting because we had never worked together before we'd never really written together we we uh, we worked on a sketch show together but we just wrote our own sketches and then didn't even show them to each other just sent them to the producer um so we had never written or performed anything together uh, until lockdown basically forced us to do so. And I thought, I mean, we never did it because we thought, oh God, we'll argue, we'll get divorced, it'll be awful. And of course we have argued <laughs> and it has been awful as all creative processes are, but we haven't got divorced because actually it's, been really useful and I think we uh, I'd always thought of him as like my husband first and then a comedian second whereas actually during lockdown it's been like oh god Jenna we do sort of respect each other's professional opinion and we can actually collaborate on jokes and stuff together so that has been very nice
1: Um, Lucy thank you
2: uh, it's such a pleasure and I um, yes and I'm sorry that I have banged on so much about myself but I would I like
1: always to and just to make sure uh, that Ricky do you have anything that I have missed Ricky any questions or anything that uh, or do we think we've covered most
0: uh, we've covered a lot but do you think Manchester now is the place to be do you think I should move, <laughs> pack my bag, sack the Southwest?
2: I think you should. I, 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 although I hesitate to dr- sort of drag you away from Mark because he's clearly a very good influence. But uh, I think. <laughs> Yeah, as much travelling as you can. And one of the absolute joys of doing stand up in my life has been the opportunity for travel that it has afforded me. And if ever you get a chance to do a gig somewhere that you have never been, I would say grab it with both hands. I have died on more continents than (laughs) you could ever dream of. Um because I will say yes to literally anything. But that is one of the big things that I don't regret is using it as an opportunity to discover new places. And I mean now when I meet anyone from anywhere in Britain pretty much I will have an anecdote about having been to their town I will know stuff because you do when you go to do a gig somewhere you find out about it and you know what the local museum is called or you know what the dodgy Mm. part of town is or what the kebab shop is that you went up to after a gig and you have so much more to talk about and you get a much more rich and varied sense of what Britain is like and sometimes recently when it has felt quite depressing thinking about Britain and uh, certainly, you know, there have been times where I've thought, God, there's all these awful people in Britain. There's all this, you know, these horrible, uh, unpleasant sort of little Englanders and stuff. And then I think, well, but actually I have been all over this country and met wonderful people and I know that they exist and uh, you know it gives me faith and hope and positivity my
1: Lucy take care and we'll uh, we'll see you soon
2: Oh, oh captain Love to see you guys well, Take you care. Well, you care Have the well, well, Thanks well. Thank oh, captain, right. my captain
0: Oh captain My captain